Well, welcome. It's a big day. It's, it's been awesome just to hear the, the three testimonies in this service, the three before, and uh, just hear what God is doing in individual lives, how the, the, their stories started way before they ever walked in these doors, uh, but how God has continued to work in their story uh, through campus ministries, through Mercy House, through friendships, but it, it, He's at work. And so we're trusting that He's at work right now as we look at His Word together. We've been looking at the book of John uh, for several weeks. This is our last week in the Gospel of John. And uh, we've been saying over and over that the, the simplest sort of summary of what John is doing is he's revealing Christ and then he's calling the reader to believe. Over and over and over. He's reveal and then believe. Uh, and when you get to tw- kind of the, the end of the book, the thir- 13 chapter, 14, 15, 16, on into all the way to the end where we just read uh, the last few verses of chapter 21, you get to see what's at the very center of the relationship between people and Jesus. That the way you get into that relationship is belief. It's, it's saving faith. But once you're in that relationship, uh, what, what is at the center of that relationship? And all relationships have a center. If you think about it, like you have, let's say you have a relationship uh, with your boss. What's at the center? Well, you might say, well, it's money. I have a relationship with my boss because my boss gives me a paycheck at the end of the month, right? So that's at the center. And if the boss ceased to give the paycheck, you'd cease to be in a relationship with your boss, unless your boss was your best friend and you helped start the business together. And so, yeah, you're getting paid, but the center of the relationship is not the paycheck. It's actually the relationship that you have with your boss or the relationship with your spouse, right? There's a center there. Is it that your spouse does a good job and can pay the bills and keep a roof over your head? It's at the center of that. Or your, house, uh, your, your spouse is really good at keeping the house and raising the kids, and that's what is at the center. Or you really care for your spouse, right? and you really are looking out for the best interests of your There's something at the center. There's something that's driving that relationship. And so the question for us today is, what's at the center of your relationship with Jesus? Or more importantly, what does Jesus want to be at the center of your relationship with him? I think that's revealed in this text from John chapter 21 that we just read. So you, if you would open up your Bibles there, there's some on the, on the, on the underneath the chairs there. You can pull out, find John chapter 21, uh, maybe on your phone, maybe you brought your Bible, but it's going to help you to follow along with me. So we just heard this read, John 21, starting with verse 15. And the backstory of this moment here, is here and we looked at this last week, is uh, they've seen Jesus on the beach, the disciples were out fishing, and so they, they, they bring the boat back to the beach, and Jesus is there, and he's, he's fixed breakfast, and he offers them breakfast, and they have this, this meal together, and if you don't know what all that's about, I'm going to listen to the last week's sermon on SoundCloud and iTunes, but that's the backstory, and so after this breakfast, then Jesus has this, has this very important conversation with the disciples Peter. Peter. And so in verse 15, it says that Jesus said to Simon Peter, Peter Simon, Simon, John, do you love me? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. So Jesus asked Peter this very, very important question. Do you love me? 
He's revealing the nature relationship that he wants, that he wants with, Peter. with Peter. What's that? 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 What's this big download of information and truth that Jesus gives on his disciples the night before uh, he's still uh, killed on Friday. And, and the way the way section, section was opened up, John, John 13, verse 1, and he's coming behind me here. Now, before, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having, having loved his own and were in the world, he loved, he loved them to the end. So that, that, that the beginning of chapter 13 kind of opens up this, this new idea of how much Jesus loves his disciples. This is what's at the center of his, of his relationship with the disciples. He goes on, he says, multiple times I'll give you a few examples. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. In John 15, 9, it says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Uh, John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And it goes on to explain, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus, multiple times in, in this big download of, of truth that he gives them before he goes to the cross. He says to them, I deeply love you. I love you. Over and over and over and over again. And that the ultimate way that he expresses that love is he dies for them on the cross. Did you catch that? Greater love has no one than this. That he, he laid down his life for his friends. This is what he's saying. He's saying the, the greatest expression of my love for you is what he's going to do the very next day on Good Friday when he dies on the cross. And so we've been talking about Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. And we've been talking about the resurrection week after week after week. It's our fourth week to, to look at a post resurrection account. And part of why I wanted to do that is because I want you to see that these are historical facts, that these, these, are, these are eyewitness accounts. But I don't just want you to see the historical facts. I want you to see what the historical facts are communicating. And, and what the death of Jesus communicates is that he loves us. That's what's at the core of our relationship. The center is his love for us. All relationships have a, some sort of a history. There wouldn't be a relationship if there wasn't a history. And sometimes you say that. I have a lot of history with that person. Right? I've known that person for a long time. Well, well, we, we have a history with Jesus. And, and the, the very center of that history with Jesus is his death on the cross for us. Right? It's the way the Apostle Paul describes it. Romans 5, 8, he says, But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's saying, that's, that's in the, my history with with Jesus. Before I loved him, before I even had any kind of interest in him, he laid down his life for me and he showed his love for me. So not only is the nature of the relationship him loving us, but he wants us to love him back. He wants us to love him back. I think that's very clear in this question that he's asking Peter, do you love me? 
And he's implying, I want you to love me. I want you to love me. That's, that's my expectation. Like, I, I've loved you, and I've, I've totally, uh, ultimately communicated that. Like, there's no doubt that Jesus loves Peter. And now he's saying, Peter, I want you, I want you to love me back. So it's through belief that we enter into this union with Jesus, this relationship with Jesus. The nature of that relationship going forward is he loves us and we love him. And it's this mutual back and forth of love that's at the center. Uh, you, you hear John write a lot about this in his letter, 1 John. And here's a little phrase, I think, that really captures what I'm trying to get at here. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. That, that's the nature of that relationship. Where Jesus has loved us, and now we love Him back, and we love each other. And I'll say more about that as we move forward. So, the nature of our relationship, again, the center of our relationship is love. Him loving us, we loving Him. And this sort of begs the question, okay, well then how do I love Jesus? I know how He loved me. He laid down His life for me on the cross. But how do I love Him back? What, what does that even mean? Do I sing songs to Him? Do I pray a lot? Do I give away a lot of money? I, I, what, what do I do? What do I do? Um, and so I think we see in this question and answer with, uh, between Jesus and Peter what we do. And he says to Peter, do you love me? And when Peter says, yes, 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 I love you. Of course I love you with his mouth. Right? And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. It's Jesus' way of saying, okay, you want to love me? Then the way you love me is you love my church. You love my church. That's what he means when he says, feed my sheep, the flock of God. That, that is the church. Uh, think about sheep and their needs. They need to eat. They need to eat. And they're domesticated animals, so they just can't go out on a hunt in the woods looking for you know, an animal. to eat. They, they, they graze, and so you put them on some grass, and they will eat that grass, if you, if you let them, down to the dirt until there's zero grass. And then they'll just stand there and starve to death unless you move them to another patch of grass. And so they have to be fed, either food in a trough or moved from grass patch to, to grass patch. And so it made perfect sense to Peter that, that sheep need to be fed. So think about feeding and food. Like, what does that do? Well, it keeps you alive. It contributes to your flourishing. And so he's saying, I, I want you to, to feed, and later he'll say, tend the sheep. Right? The church. I want you to love the church. I want you to care for the church. Peter writes this to another a group of church leaders in his letter, 1 Peter. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. He's exhorting those local church elders the same way Jesus was exhorting him. Love the flock. Serve the flock. Feed the flock. Protect the flock. Now, why would Jesus say, you want to love me, love the church? Right? You've seen these bumper stickers, you know, Jesus, please save me from your followers, you know, stuff like that. It's like, oh, I'm way into Jesus. I love Jesus, but I, this is the church. You know, I don't like the... 
And Jesus is saying, no, that's not how it works. You want to love me? You want to love me well? Then love the church. And we know that the church is intimately linked with Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul's favorite image for explaining the nature of the church is that the church is the body of Christ. He uses that image multiple times. So the idea is that Jesus is the head of the church and is connected to the body of Christ. And so if you're loving well your brothers and sisters in the church, you're loving Jesus. You're never more concretely loving Jesus than when you're loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, in the church. He mentions this kind of thing multiple times in John 13 through 17. Here's one, one of those places I think is a really clear example. Uh, John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. You see him connecting those dots. He's like, I love you, and now I want you to love one another. This is the, the most concrete way that you can actually love Jesus is you love the body of Christ. You love your brothers and sisters in Christ. So, the center of our relationship is love, right? Jesus' love for us, our love for Jesus. The way that we love Jesus, or the primary way we love Jesus, is loving His church. And you may be asking a question, okay, well, well, what else do we do? What else do we do? And it's interesting because he talks to Peter uh, a second time and a third time about what he needs to be doing. And so verse 16, he says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. I'm sure Peter's going, no, that was, that was, num- that was point number one, Jesus You're saying it again? He's like, yes, I'm saying it again. You want to love me? I want you to love my church. I want you to tend my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to love the church. This is how you love me. Now, this doesn't mean that this is somehow mutually exclusive to the mission that the church is on to get the the gospel out to the nations. Uh, They're actually very compatible. Uh, And so definitely Jesus has been telling them they're on a mission, right? And I've talked about this for the last two weeks where he's saying things like, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So there's a sentness about the church. The church is on a mission or or go make disciples of all nations, right? That's that's the mission of the church, to to get the gospel out to the nations of the world. He says in Mark to to go preach the gospel to all of creation. That's another, another commission, uh, over and over and over, he's, he's saying, I want you, the church to be on the mission of making disciples, of reaching people with the gospel, but that's best done out of a church who's loving one another well. Again, in John 13, I'll read that, that, that verse again. I think it's so critical to understanding how Jesus is tying these together. He says, again, in 34 of John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then he adds, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You see what he's doing there? He's he's giving this command, love one another. Well, he's saying, guess what's going to happen? People outside the church looking in are going to see you practicing what you preach, and that's going to authenticate the gospel. It's going to give power to the, 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 the mission 
that you have, the message that you're portraying. A lot of times I'll say, if you're called to demonstrate and proclaim the gospel, that's what he's, what he's saying here. It's not the only way you can demonstrate, but it is the key way. You can demonstrate the gospel of loving one another well inside the church that authenticates the message that we have, we have to proclaim. This is what we, what we hope to hope would happen in the mercy house. We talk about our God's statement Sunday, that's not enough, but, uh, you know, you know, we talk about a house called the full faith. faith. We want to be faithfully with each other. But, but this faithfully enabling is being built at the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God. We've got to get to God's way to the gospel. What Christ has done for us. Give us the rest of our strength and reconcile us with him and with each other. So that God's gospel is central to us. And that, and that community that's gathered around the gospel is being built. It's being built. People are being added to the church. And they're being helped to be made more mature. So we want to be both this sort of gathered church where we're tight knit and we're community and we're family, but we're also a scattered church where we're being sent out on the mission of getting the gospel out to our region and all over the world. And that happens best, again, when we're loving one another well inside the church. So what else should be on Peter's list? Uh, he says to him a third time in, in verse 17 of John 21, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. <laughs> and Peter's going, but you just said that like twice. And they're saying it again. Yes, it's repetition. It's repetition. Jesus wants to make a point. Peter, if you want to love me, keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing, I want, you to, I want you to love the church. Now, why would he have to say that over and over and over? Why do you have to use repetition to make sure that Peter, was it just Peter just dense? He just dense, right? More dense than more regular people? No, it's because this is hard. This is hard. It's much easier to, to, to do other things rather than love the church well. Jesus, he sort of enacts a parable to explain some, some of the, I think, intricacies of what it means to, to do body life with one another inside the church. He does this actually in John 13, where he's about to uh, celebrate the Passover. It's a very significant meal for the, for the Jewish religion, but it's also significant because it's the night before Jesus is going to die on the cross. Now, the disciples don't realize that, I don't think, fully, but Jesus does. And so this is like a critical evening with his disciples. It's kind of his last opportunity to download some important truth. And so they, they've made the preparation for the Passover. Jesus comes in. He looks around the room, and everyone's feet are absolutely filthy. And so protocol for that day and age is that somebody would clean everybody's feet. They would wash the feet. Usually you would have a servant there that would do that. But if there's no servant, then somebody has to sign up. And say, I, I will do it. And what's most likely happening is everyone's thinking someone else should do it. Peter's thinking, you know, Bartholomew should do it. Who, who even is Bartholomew, right? This guy hardly even makes it in the Bible. Right? Or James the Lesser. Maybe he should do it. I mean, like, his name would like the Lesser? I mean, of course he should be the one to wash the feet. Certainly not, not Peter, right? I'm the rock. Right? And, and so everybody's looking around at everybody's feet. Nobody's doing anything about it. They sit down. They actually start the meal. And in the middle of the meal, Jesus gets up 
And he starts washing feet. And he washes every one of their feet. And, and that had to take some time. <laughs> right? I just imagine Jesus kind of taking time, like each toe, like, oh, you know. Just, just, we're going to draw this out. We're going to drag this out. And it's silent, and it's awkward. And he goes all the way around the table, and then he sits down, and then he gives them just a short little exhortation. And this is the exhortation, John 13. Verse 12 says, When he washed their feet, he put on his outer garments. He resumed his place, and he said to them, Do, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. So he's using this experience that they've just had of having their feet washed to, to, to communicate what body life within the church is like. I don't think he was like instituting another sort of ordinance, you know, like baptism, communion, foot washing. I mean, there's, there's a couple of traditions that think that, but uh, I, I don't think that's what he's doing. He, he's actually giving them an experience that, that can help them understand the nature of life inside the church. And he's saying life inside the church is like washing each other's smelly feet. Now think about that. That's hard. It's hard. It's hard to do that. It's hard to allow that to be done to you. It's very humbling. It's humbling to do that for others. It's humbling to have that done to you. It's vulnerable. It's vulnerable to do that for others. It's vulnerable to have that done to you. It, it, it certainly is communicating the, the giving of grace that must be given when somebody hurts you or sins against you and you forgive them. Right? It's, it's like washing them. But then when you have to receive grace, when you have hurt others and, and, and you've you need forgiveness, and then they give you that forgiveness, and they give you that grace. And he says, this is what body life is going to be within the church, and there's an endless supply of dirt inside the church. There's always going to be dirty feet. We're all sinners saved by grace. We're all a work in progress. We're, we're, we're trying to press into a tight-knit community, and as sinners do that, of course, we're going to hurt each other, and we're going to have to give and receive grace in order to stay 